All the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions, all from the mind of a real-world missionary of almost 20 years. But Paul, the other night, my wife and I were discussing missions and the trends and numbers in missions and how there are not many missionaries in our day and age. The, the number is dropping and it's even dropping more so for men. And uh, I posited that maybe one of the reasons is that men are often thinking about the fact that they have to provide, they want to take a wife, and so they're trying to put themselves in a really good position to do this. And that uh, really brings us to what I want us to discuss today, because uh, someone who has been doing this for any amount of time may have attained some uh, uh, career prowess and some wealth, and, and thus arises the question, um, I'm wealthy and I'm interested in missions. Should I go or stay? How would you answer this? Over to you, Mfundisi. First story. Anthony Norris Groves was born in 1795. And though he was an Englishman, we could probably say that he was living the American dream. Uh, he was born in a home of love, but uh, he did not become converted until a little bit later on in life. Uh, he began uh, studying to be a uh, dentist. He eventually gets married and he has three children. And now he's living a dream. He's making a good income. He has a good career. Uh, he has a wife that's beautiful and loves him and three young, healthy children. But he cannot escape this inward call to missions within him. What should he do? Well, when he was 20 years old, he actually applied uh, to the mission society there in England. And for various reasons, uh, it didn't get off the ground. And then for the next 10 years, he is pleading and praying essentially with his wife, Mary, let's go to the mission field. And she would break down in tears and say, we can't possibly go. Then he'd wait and then he'd ask her again. And she'd say, what about the children? And this would go on and on and on until finally, after 10 years, uh, she submits, he submits, and they say, we want to go off to the mission field. Uh, this is just a very unusual thing to do. He would be the outlier. How can it be that a man with all of this wealth and, and uh, all these great prospects and all of the niceties that come with raising a family in England, that he would actually leave that and not just go to any mission field. They had actually considered, this is back in the early 1800s, going to Ohio for a while. And he said, well, maybe my wife can handle that. It's uh, Western technology and it's English speaking, or, or maybe we could go to India. And then finally, here comes this traveling evangelist and he says, well, actually there's a place in Persia that has no Christian witness. Now, back then, Persia was a much broader term. It was basically from Turkey to India, this broad area. No Protestant mission there at all. What about going there? And, and they now had to determine, we're submitted to missions, but should we remain back in our homeland and use our considerable income to support missionaries to go, or should we go ourselves? One other item that is interesting, and that is his wife, Mary, was supposed to get this massive inheritance from her father that she could have very easily lost if he knew that she was going to somehow squander this and give it away 
to the people that they were reaching on the other side of the world. What should they do? That's what we're going to discuss today. Mm. And that's a good foundation to start us off with. I think of the quote by John Piper that every Christian is either going or sending or disobedient. And there, there, there's no option for a, a Christian who's trying to live an honoring life to the Lord. There's no third option there. And we see Anthony Norris Groves struggling between the two, uh, going or sending. What are some principles we can use to address this uh, issue? Yeah, and even before we get to the principles, it, it makes me think of Jesus' words in the Great Commission when he says, go. And of course, we know that the main verb there is make disciples, and then the participles would be, well, we make disciples by going and by baptizing and by teaching. So I don't think we should necessarily say from that passage that it is a command to every individual Christian that they must go. I think that was more so given to the church as a whole. And then to the church as a whole, we would say some people obey that command. In fact, you could even say most people obey that command. Uh, of making disciples around the world by supporting those who actually go. Some people go, some people support those who go. And we do have examples of those who actually left it all and went around the world. One example would be uh, Borden of Yale, William Borden, the book uh, called Borden of Yale. It's the story of this young man who grew up in a very wealthy uh, family. Uh, actually not connected to Borden milk, which many people in the U.S. would think. And that kind of gave him a way out because they would say, oh, are you connected to Borden Milk Company? And say no. And, oh, okay. And because he didn't like to talk about his wealth, but he was due to inherit a massive amount of money. And then he comes to Christ as a young man. Uh, he goes off to study theology. And then to everyone's amazement, he says, I'm going to this Muslim group in China. And they said, well, certainly he's talking. And certainly when he gets a little older, I get out of it. And that's what he did. He stopped in Egypt en route to the Muslims in China so that he could live with a family and actually learn Arabic in the right way. And he's there a very brief amount of time. He gets cerebral meningitis and he dies. And you can read an account of this in a book I remember hearing about in college called uh, Borden of Yale. And even on that simple, lonely little gravestone, it read something like, apart from Christ, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation of such a life. And that's exactly it. How can you possibly explain someone would leave it all? You even think about Chariots of Fire, right? Eric Liddell, this man who's this great Olympic champion, and then he ends up dying in a prison camp in China as a missionary. Like, how can you possibly explain these kind of things other than there is another world out there and there is someone else out there that gains all of our affection above all the things of this world, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what would be some principles? Here we are. We're... we're uh, Joe millionaire or someone wealthy in uh, uh, somewhere around the world. And he says, I've read the biographies and I read my Bible and I say, I want to see people come to Christ around the world. I, I read the quotes of these great men of the past who say things like, I look back 
at my life as a missionary, and I could, if I could give it all over again, if I could give a thousand lives, I'd give it all for Christ, and I want to give it all for Christ. And there's people who will be listening to this and saying, yes, that's me. I'm a CEO. I'm a carpenter. I'm a, an accountant. Uh, wh- whatever your task is, and, and you make a good income, and you say, now, what should I do with this? What are some principles? So let's go through a couple of them. And what would be this? Um, staying back and supporting missions is a viable, or we should say maybe a viable biblical option. And we have examples of this in the scriptures. First one that comes to mind, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, here they are. Uh, Aquila is a, a, a leather maker or a tent maker, as the Apostle Paul was. Uh, they come to Christ, and they were so generous with their money. They're so kind. They're so hospitable that they are considered one of the closest co-workers to the Apostle Paul that helped him to do his task effectively. Or you have Joseph of Arimathea. He was very influential. Uh, He had a place in the council. Uh, The Bible calls him rich, and he was a follower of Christ. And he was one of the men that God used to uh, wrap up the body of Jesus after the crucifixion and place him in uh, a tomb, a new tomb. And then you have Lydia, who's the, the first convert in Europe. And we find her story in Acts 16, where she is along the riverside, she hears the gospel. She is very wealthy, most likely because of her business selling clothing. And because of that business, she allows the first church in that area to come into our home. And then because of hospitality and sending other people out, the Lord used her wealth in a tremendous way to spread the gospel around the world. So businessman, uh, wealthy woman around the world who's listening to this, we would say, first of all, yes. Uh, a biblical option would be possibly actually staying back and and using the financial gifts that God has given you to send missionaries around the world. Yes, brother. And even as you're speaking, I'm thinking of the thousands of people groups who haven't heard the name of Christ. And there are people who have to go there. And to uh, achieve that mission of sending people there, there are people who have to do the sending. And that's when a great value can be attained from uh, those who take on the option of staying and sending out. And as I look at uh, some stats, it's uh, one one stat I found said that for every one hundred thousand dollars that Christians make, they give one dollar to the unreached. So only one dollar from one hundred thousand um, dollars. And another interesting one is that uh, Americans spend more on uh, their pets for Halloween than they do on missions. Uh, and it's, it's just these radical stats, and we, that isn't even counting what the African scene must look like, because in Africa, uh, the church doesn't give as much to missions as the American church. So one can only imagine the great need here. Yeah, that's an excellent point, because even when you hear those cringeworthy stats about the way Americans give toward missions, remember, Americans at the top. As far as giving to missions, I mean, they send the most missionaries, they give the most to missions, uh, they're they're at the top. So if they're at the top and they give such a paltry number, what does that say about other nations? I mean, I even think about South Africa. It's just expected uh, among Protestant evangelical churches that 
you have a considerable number of missionaries that you are supporting, but that's not the way it is at a lot of churches around the world. You can go to this church and say, who are the missionaries that you're supporting? And they'll say missionaries. So for some people, it's not even on their radar. So thank you for giving those quotes because that, that's a great point. It's cringeworthy, even though it's cringeworthy of the nation that's on the top. So that means that the, the worldwide, we're doing a really poor job in the way that we're giving around the world. And then I would add on that, I think uh, I couldn't find the actual booklet, but I remember at Grace Community Church and TMAI or, or TMS, the Master Seminary out in California, they had a little booklet that I think it said heroes on the front. And then it had, had the faces of prominent men in church history, but the prominent men were not necessarily the reformers. They kind of did small biographies about uh, either kings or princes or businessmen that would use their funds to finance the great reformers or the great works of spreading the gospel. And that was going all the way back to the 14, 15, 16, 1700s. And while I couldn't find that booklet, it, it was a something indelible in my mind that that was the church's way to send out those booklets to their, their people in the flock to say, you might not be able to go. And let's be honest, many of you just cannot and will not go, but you can use what God has given you in a tremendous way to spread missions around the world. Amen. As we are about to go on to the next principle, which involves going, I would like a comment from you just on the word go, because it's trendy in some circles to say that everyone's a missionary, every Christian's a missionary. I don't know if you have any thoughts on either geography, language, culture that could help us define what actually uh, uh, being a missionary is. Well, one of our goals is to share the gospel with whoever who wants to hear. So if that is your neighbor across the street, or if that is your family member across town, or if that's on the other side of the province or state where you live, absolutely share the gospel with them. We, we always need to be, in a sense, going to others who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would be maybe first tier. But I don't think it's helpful to use the term missionary for anyone who gives the gospel because then it's going to blur the task of what those who are leaving their homeland, learning a new language, being sent out by their local church, and going to the lesser-reached people groups around the world. It's like highlighting the, the whole page. If if you highlight every word, then nothing sticks out. And if you call everyone a missionary, or if you call everyone a pastor, then it negates those who are the pastors or who are the missionaries. So I, I do think that we should technically reserve the term missionary as someone who is sent out uh, from his church to carry the good news of the Great Commission to those who have never heard the gospel. If I could use a shorthand brief definition, I would call a missionary a cross-cultural evangelist. Thanks, brother. Uh, next principle. Okay, and the next principle is just kind of balancing out the other one, and that is just as staying, staying back and using your, source, your resources to spread the gospel around the world, another viable biblical option would be to actually sell it all. Sell it all and go to preach the gospel. And we have examples of that even in Scripture. We have the Apostle Paul, who was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had a tremendous education. And we, we know that after his conversion, life changed for him. And 
now he had to leave, in a sense, uh, what would be perhaps a promising career, and he was on the run. But he did that for the gospel's sake. Or we think of Moses, where Hebrews tells us that he considered the reproach of Christ uh, greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. And then you can go on and on about examples in church history. Let me name just a couple. Uh, in the mid-1800s, you have Hudson Taylor, who studied to be a surgeon. He studied to be a, a medical doctor, and then he went off uh, to the mission field. Uh, or you have examples of C.T. Studd, who is this uh, famous cricketer, and then he leaves for China. And then while he's in China, as a missionary, he receives a, a multi-tens of thousands of pounds inheritance and if you work it out today it's about six million dollars that he was given and he gave it all away to christian causes that that's an example of something you say no one would do that yes they would they have done it they've done it in scripture and and they've done it in in church history and so that might be a real option for you give it all away i i know i have personal friends who were upper echelon businessmen they came to christ sold it all went off to seminary studied and went to africa and that might be what god god is calling you to that's an that's a viable option mm. that just reminds me of the the quote you mentioned from um william uh, borden uh, on his tombstone apart from faith in christ there is no explanation for such a life and that really explains that these are people who uh, found the value of the pearl of great price that causes them to, to, to go off to such a life. And I almost feel like the more letters behind your name, the more degrees you have, uh, the more wealth you have, it's either going to make it impossible for you to get to the mission field or it's going to make it much more difficult. That's why I encourage young men, go to the mission field when you're young for a lot of reasons. One is you have the most energy, but two, you don't have anything yet. I mean, when I went to the mission field, I didn't have anything. I had like a few boxes, you know, that I sent over uh, to the mission field. I, I don't even remember that one of the men who joined our team, he, it's not like he was wealthy, but he was at least married and he had children. And it, it was kind of humorous of we opened up our, you know, boxes that was sent over and he had all these boxes and I had a few boxes. And the point is, it was an easier step for me to go, but not only because of wealth, but also because of education. Now, I don't think anyone would look at me and accuse me of being anti-education or books or reading or whatever, but it would surprise people that I often encourage young men not to seek after advanced degrees or terminal degrees or PhDs because it is a rare kind of person that can put in 10 years of theological training and he learns the Hebrew and he learns the Greek and he has the PhD. Well, of course he wants to use that. So now he's going to go across the world where it's needed most, usually very poor places, and he's going to sit across from a granny who has no front teeth and uh, doesn't speak English and can't read. And with all of his training, he's going to spend his life giving the gospel to that kind of person. Very rare. He's going to be an outlier. So be careful about those degrees and don't be sucked into the vortex of all the degrees and then ultimately you say well i think i'll just stay back and teach others about missions and then ultimately no one ever goes yeah yeah and just to reiterate that you you wouldn't ask me to say this but 
you're here in this village of Mbokota, but you are educated. You, you came as you were, and you've even advanced your education over time. And that's uh, showing the value of it, but still the heart for missions. And it's rare for people to do that. I even think of uh, John Payton, when he wanted to go to the cannibals of the South Seas, and everyone was telling him how much he had to lose. Uh, and saying that, no, stay back for your church, we need you here, and, and all that. The more advancement that takes place, the harder it is to do that in all regards, family, money, education, and in all regards. Mm. So what would the third principle be? Because the, we're, yeah. The, this would kind of round it out. Yeah. And, and I appreciate those questions because I think those two first items would say, all right, it could be biblical to stay, and it could be biblical to go, but now you just basically ended by saying, all right, so anything's optional. What do I do with that? And I'd say, ultimately, what will make you decide option number one or option number two is your calling. Where has God called you? And we determine our calling by asking a few questions. Number one, what are the desires that you have in your heart? We know that a qualification of a pastor is that he desires the office of a bishop. So first of all, what do you desire? What do you love? What do you long for? I, I look at the Apostle Paul and he longed for, he, he said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. We think of some of the great uh, prophets of the past who said, I'm not going to preach anymore. And then he said, uh, it was like a, a fire in my bones and I, I, I couldn't stop it. It was like this boiling up volcano and I had to preach. Well, that's a good sign. If, if God has given you that desire, I have to go. I dream about going. I long for going. I write about going. All of my conversations have moved toward this. That's a good sign that God has given you that desire. That could definitely point to perhaps God has called you into missions. But that in itself, I don't think is enough to say that's God, your calling, because we would move next to the second question, which is, what is your gifting? How has God gifted you? Just because a young boy has an overwhelming desire to be the next Ronaldo doesn't mean that's what God's called him to do. Um, the, the aspiration to do something does not cancel the ability that is needed to do it. So has God given you that ability? Are you a good communicator? Uh, are you good with people? And of course, these can be developed uh, but it's it's definitely important to uh, see if these gifts uh, are in your life. And then finally, what do other mature Christians say? Uh, Paul could look at Timothy and say, I see that the gift of God is in this young man, 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul and Barnabas, they were obviously gifted. The church in Antioch affirmed that giftedness and then sent them off. So if a young man or young woman comes to me and says, I just know God's called me to missions, I desire it. My question is going to be, what do your pastors say? What do your leaders say? And if they point you towards missions, there's a good chance that's where God is calling you. Yeah. And as I think about that, you mentioned earlier that there is an aspect of sending that's involved in all of this. A man is being sent, and you're speaking about pastors and leaders. And so it's, it's not just what someone wants, but this is a person who's going to uh, lead the charge of Christ out in the field. So this has to be a qualified person in terms of the, the, the character traits that um, Paul outlines in the book of Timothy and the book of Titus, 
And uh, that's ultimately what would be happening when people are attesting to this. And we do this in the rest of the world, right? You, you have your CV and you see what other people say about you. Before you came here, I made sure that what your reputation was like from your local church. We have lots of interns here. It's a very important thing. What do other people say about you? So get involved in your local church right now. If you say, if you say I don't think my pastors are fully on board with this, I'd say don't let that discourage you. Go back to, to question number one and question number two. Uh, filter through those desires, develop those gifts, and then maybe eventually the leaders in your church will encourage it. Mm. Amen. And what would you say in conclusion? My conclusion would be, if the Lord has blessed you with wealth and riches, as the Lord has blessed many people, we live in a very wealthy world today, I would strongly urge you to use that wealth toward missions, either by staying back and sending or by going and serving. And the way to determine that is by asking yourself three questions. And that is, what are my desires? Uh, what are my abilities? And what does the local church say? That all encompasses God's calling in our life. And may the Lord make that clear as you seek to serve him around the world. What a treat, Mpundisi. To our audience, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate it and subscribe to keep posted with more upcoming content. Feel free to share this episode with someone who might find it interesting and submit any questions you may want answered in a future podcast. You can email those questions to paulschleyline at gmail.com. You can also visit betweentwocultures.com for other resources like this. I'm your host, Jamikani Katunga, and until next time, that's it from Missionary Minds.